0: Tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of the attacks in New York and the Pentagon. It is 9-11, 20 years ago. It's hard to believe now, uh, but so many things have changed since 9-11, and a lot of them uh, revolve around security security changes in airports uh, rob verger is the technology editor at popular science a magazine that whenever i uh flew in the past rob i would pick up a popular science i would also pick up you know like a fashion magazine too but every once in a while it's just like i can't read about what the next trend in nails are i need to i need to read something stimulating at the same time
1: oh, that's wonderful to hear thank you so much for saying that and thank you so much for having me today
0: I was really interested. You know, the, your article that you wrote, uh, these post 9-11 aviation security changes are invisible, caught my eye. I thought it was a really interesting way to kind of uh, punctuate that the anniversary, the 20th anniversary is happening tomorrow of 9-11, but also to talk about how how it's changed, you know, our lives. Um, so let's talk about the changes that are invisible
1: Correct. You know, I think that um, we're, we're all so used to, you know, flying over the past two decades and going through TSA security checkpoints in the United States where, you know, we all do things like take off our shoes or or take, take our laptops out of our bags um, or get rid of our water bottles. And, you know, there have been some really fascinating kind of uh, invisible changes to airline security, as you mentioned. And, you know, some of the most interesting I think have happened uh that are, are I would describe them as attitude shifts among the the flight crews and the cabin crews and even the passengers. Um you know in a in a pre nine eleven environment, the ways that pilots might respond to a hijacking, for example, are very different from the way that flight crews today would would respond. And there's some been some physical changes to the aircraft as well that are that are not visible. So there's a lot going on there and a lot to unpack.
0: Okay, let's unpack some of them. The attitude shift, what was it when it came to the flight crew pre-9-11, and, and how did it change? It's even though we don't see it, how has it changed?
1: Correct. So, you know, pre-9-11, from speaking with uh, a retired, you know, pilot and retired uh, security personnel, you know, they have mentioned things like that before 9-11, uh, the goal was more compliance, that if, uh, if an aircraft was going to be hijacked, for example, that the flight crew might uh, you know, be, be compliant or might kind of cooperate to whatever extent they could. And that the top priority was to keep the aircraft and the passengers safe at all times. So that might involve something like, you know, flying them to where they wanted to fly or trying to, to arrange for a transfer of money, something like that, and, and trying to keep the aircraft safe. And, of course, you know, we all know that on September 11th, two decades ago, that the goals of those terrorists were very, very different. Um, So now, you know, the goal is certainly not compliance or the approach is not compliance. It's, you know, to keep people out of the flight deck at all costs. And so, you know, uh, American aircraft now, there's um, hardened uh, flight deck doors. There's a new locking system, which means that, you know, even if uh, someone wanted to get in, uh, they they couldn't, that the doors are now, there's a way to kind of lock them completely. So we've really seen kind of strong changes there in terms of both the uh, physical changes to the doors and also attitude shifts among the cabin crew and the flight crew.
0: Yeah. And attitude shifts, you mentioned as well in your article, uh, among passengers. We know that uh, passengers took down that plane over Pennsylvania. The the fourth one they suspected was heading for uh, the Capitol or the Pentagon.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a a very important point um, that passengers learned on that flight what was happening and fought back. And, um, you know, it certainly saved a lot of lives in doing so. And it's something now that over the past two decades, we've also seen, you know, passengers restrain unruly, uh, you know, other passengers. Certainly COVID has made things uh, more fraught and uh, there's been a lot more going on. And so we do see and, you know, a security expert also mentioned this to me, that if you see these attitude shifts among pilots, they're also mirrored to an extent among the passengers.
0: I was reading in your article, uh, there is a line that is bolded. It says, should TSA notice how you swallow? What does that have to do with anything? Well,
1: this is such a bizarre, bizarre, um, you know, thing that's going on among the TSA. And I, I had the chance to interview an expert at the Government Accountability Office or the GAO, and they they look into the TSA And one thing that they're critical of and that other experts are critical of is the TSA's behavior detection program. And so the TSA used to have trained behavior detection officers, and they no longer have those positions, but have reportedly just kind of trained the rank-and-file TSA officers to look for things like the behavior of the folks going through security checkpoints. And this could be things like, you know, the manner in which somebody swallows is one uh, example that the GAO was able to give uh, as well as the extent to which a person's eyes are open. And so, you know, there may be TSA officers looking out for things like that in this kind of old-fashioned way of, oh, do they have sweaty palms? It must mean they're up to something no good. You know, we we might want to flag them for secondary screening. And, you know, the GAO and an expert from the American Civil Liberties Union, you know, everyone, you know, a lot of people are concerned about the kind of unscientific basis mm-hmm. of these of uh, this behavior detection, and uh, also the potential for racial discrimination.
0: Sure, I might be a nervous flyer, which I happen to be. I love to fly, but I'm a nervous flyer, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get weird before I get into that airport. I'm just gonna be off kilter a bit.
1: Of course, and I think that that you know what what you just said is really it's true for a lot of folks. You go through security, and there's there's so many reasons that you might feel nervous, whether you're a nervous flyer or you're running late, or you're just worried about the bias that the T S uh, the T S O the Transportation Security Officer might have. And so you're maybe used to being profiled if you're a person of color or of a certain religious group. And uh, so you know this behavior detection program is I would say one of the uh, one of the weaknesses or one of the criticisms that experts have pointed out when they've talked about, you know, post 9-11 airline security and, and all the ways that it's changed.
0: When you went on to write this piece for uh, Popular Science, what was the most shocking thing that you learned from the interviews that you conducted about security post
1: 9-11? I think, you know, the the it's, it's easy to forget the the massive way in which uh, security has changed over the past two decades, and that you know before September 11th 2001, two decades ago, you know folks could you could go to the gate if you wanted to see somebody off, and you might not need an ID to go through you know to go through security, and that. Um, the airlines themselves were the ones kind of hiring companies to do the security. And uh, one security expert mentioned to me that airlines might have even kind of resisted security and just seen it as an expense, the thing that they had to do. And, of course, we know what kind of terrible results can happen when the security is not good. So, you know, really having the U.S. federal government take over security and uh, the better ways in which intelligence is is now shared, I'm told, um, kind of a more efficient uh, or and also larger watch listing system. You know, the TSA now is the one that matches the names of the passengers against the watch list as opposed to the airlines themselves. So really the scope of the change, I think for me, was the most surprising thing.
0: I think it's interesting you brought up the fact that we used to be able to go to Gates whenever my husband and I watch, and it's become like a Christmas tradition, that uh, movie Love Actually we just—it it was mm-hmm. created in 2003 after uh, 9/11. But it's weird how they decided to make this kid jump turnstiles and and run to the gate to say goodbye to somebody. We we always look at each other and go, "Well, that just wouldn't happen." It's so funny you
1: mention that, because I always have the same thought when I watch that movie at that last scene, you know, just how unrealistic that is. And it's such a a pre 9-11 moment. And now we know, of course, no one should ever you know run through airline security like that or jump to the gate. And, uh, you know, we've seen such massive changes happen. And that's really, you, you know, you're right in that that movie came out after September 11th, and it feels dated because of that.
0: Rob, I want to thank you for your time. It's been really interesting talking to you. I know that you're in New York City. My uh, producer, Danny Stover, told me that. How are things in New York City, like this day before what is a really important anniversary? Can you give us a little insight in what's going on in New York City 20 years later?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, right now in New York, you know, my perspective is that, you know, uh, New Yorkers have been through 20 of these anniversaries since, you know, that day in 2001. And I haven't lived there that lived here that entire time, but I've been here for more than a decade now. And I, I think that for most New Yorkers, it's a very, you know, obviously the the 20th anniversary is, it's a huge anniversary, but there's also a sense of routine of going through this, this, this anniversary every year, uh, whether it's the 20th or not. And so I would just say that New Yorkers, you know, we, uh, things are kind of calm and normal and, busy and hectic as they always are in New York city. And, um, and my wife is a producer with Reuters news agency, and she'll be down covering, uh, some of the ceremonies tomorrow, uh, near ground zero. And, uh, so for us, it's, it's both routine. And of course, since it's the 20th anniversary, a little less routine than usual.
0: Right. So it's going to be a bigger event tomorrow at the Memorial.
1: Of, of course. Of course.
0: Rob, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.